I'm sure if I did a, a poll this morning, uh, I'd know that some of you would prefer pie over cake. Uh, some would like their pie with fruit in it, and some would like meringue. Some would like their cakes heavy, and some would like their cakes light and fluffy. I, on the other hand, love them all. <laughs> okay, if you, you offered me any one of those, I would take it with a, in a heartbeat. If you want to consume Paul's letter to the church in Rome, then I'm telling you, you need to be prepared for a very heavy cake. It is a moist, heavy cream pound cake. It is a plaster chocolate cake. And yes, there is a plaster chocolate cake. But I think plaster being the operative word, you could patch a hole in your wall with Paul's letter. That's how strong and thick and deep it is. It's a mud cake. And again, I would say mud is the focus. You'll have no more ability to slog through reading Paul's letter to Romans and reading it quickly than you would if you took a path through the marsh and the muddy bogs to whatever destination you choose. It takes some time. It is the longest of Paul's letters in the New Testament. It is filled with all kinds of implications for Christian living on a daily basis. It does set forth the good news of God's work in Jesus and God's grace that has influenced the church all these centuries and certainly influenced the world. St. Augustine was so influenced by it when he read Romans that he converted from his paganism to Christianity. Martin Luther was so influenced by it that it, especially the teaching on grace, even what we heard this morning, about those, the righteous live by faith, that he started the Reformation. And it influenced me. The first time I truly, really studied Romans was in college at Golden Valley Lutheran College. Professor Lodigs was the professor. It's a long story. I'll share that some other time. But as we plowed through, I mean we plowed through Romans, I suddenly realized for the first time in my life that I was attempting to live a life by merit than by grace. First time, even though I had been growing up in the church all my life, had been to Sunday school, gone to confirmation, been involved in the Luther League. First time in my life that I was attempting to live by what I was really trying to do was make God like me rather than living under the truth that God loves me even when I'm unlikable. And that, those are two different things, let me tell you. Two different things altogether. So, like a heavy cake, 
Paul's letter to the Romans is delicious. It's worth the effort. But maybe you need to just consume a small little slice (laughs) at a time. If you just took three sentences a day for your devotion in the morning, which, if we apply to what we just heard this morning, that is actually ten verses. (laughs) If you go back and read it, that's ten verses. Three sentences is ten verses from what we just read this morning. If you did that a little bit every day, do it for a week and then put the rest in the freezer for a while and take a break, (laughs) pull it out of the freezer and start again, you will be able to get through all of Romans if you do it that way. And I think it's worth your time. For this morning, I want to just offer you a little sliver, just a little sliver of what we heard I am not ashamed of the gospel, said Paul. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Even that sentence is filled. It's dense. Paul wrote that letter about 55 AD. So when you think about it, some short 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to his disciples, appeared to many others, appeared to 500, ascended back to God. The gift of the Spirit was given to the church. 20 years after that, already Christians were being shamed for their faith. There were criticisms, there were attacks, there were multiple misrepresentations that came from many different groups They just didn't understand all the stuff about Jesus and the resurrection. The emperors of Rome began to turn their attention from persecuting the Jews, which they had been about doing, to now persecuting the Christians. And I don't see a lot different today. There are plenty of critics. There are plenty of attackers who are attacking the core beliefs that we hold Dearly attacking the core values of our Christian creed. And the most obvious, the most horrific violence recently against Christians was the bombings on Easter Day in Sri Lanka, where 300 died and 500 were wounded. And that was throughout the entire terrorist attacks in the region, not just the churches, but other places as well. I am mindful of the fact that there are extremist attacks, and there seem to be growing in the world against all worldwide faiths, not just Christians, but against Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs and many others. But I'm mindful of the fact that I can't speak to all of those today. For today, the focus is on the shaming, is on the resistance, and it's on the persecutions that Paul faced as he traveled throughout Asia Minor and Greece. And I think even more importantly than that is how did Paul deal with it? What was his attitude? What was his response to those attacks that he was experiencing? 
Paul declared that he would not be ashamed of the good news. And the good news is, of course, Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. Paul was not ashamed of that proclamation because it was the power of God. This is God's power in the world. The Greek word, and Greek was in use at that time, that Paul used was dunamis. Of course, doesn't that sound a lot like dynamite? It should because that's the root word for dynamite. We get it from the Greek dunamis. Paul's basically saying the good news is explosive. The good news causes extreme reactions in the heart and in the mind. The good news impresses and excites people. The good news devastates old systems and old institutions with a new spirit and a new form. And this good news, this power, is not self-protective, but self-giving. The whole purpose of this power in the world is to heal and to save and to make right what has gone wrong. It's a power that uses its power for everyone. There is no exclusion for male and female, for children and adults. And you have to remember in that day and age, children were the bottom of the rung in the society at the very powerless of all, even below women at that time. And women were not very high in that society at that time either. So this was for male and female, children and adult, free and slave, Jew and Gentile, individuals and institutions, Israel and all the nations, the earth and the cosmos. A power meant to save everyone. And faith opens the door to this power. Or if I want to continue the dynamite analogy, faith is the match that lights the fuse. So I'll just tell you that when we exercise our faith, get ready. (laughs) Get ready for some powerful things to happen. And faith is also simply our reaction to the living, the dynamic, the explosive power of God all around us. Even if we don't see it, it's there. Embracing us with love, calling us out and calling us forth, opening our eyes and ears, sending a vision of peace and justice, revealing the mission of love and service to all. Living with faith, I have often said, is like a dance with God. Susan and I have taken some ballroom dancing lessons. We've learned how to do a cha-cha. We've learned how to do waltzes. And I kind of prefer the tango, although my wife didn't like the showiness of the tango. <laughs> you do this, you throw them out like that. 
God offers the hand that leads you onto the dance floor. And you may have heard this before, the most difficult step in dance is the first one onto the dance floor. (laughs) The rest are easy after that. It's just getting yourself out on the dance floor. God offers the hand that leads us into this dance, and then God takes the lead. You know, in dance lessons, it's still the male that has to do all the leading. My job, in addition to listening to all the beat of the music, is to make sure I'm giving the right directions. My wife is far better musician than I am, let me tell you. She can follow beats like you can't believe, and if music comes on, she doesn't listen to anything else. She hears the beat right away. I'm not quite as good, so there's a tendency for my wife to want to lead me. (laughs) And I'm like, not yet, dear. (laughs) I'm figuring this out. i got to think I had three steps. All right? So God in that analogy, is the one who offers the hand and leads us in the dance. God steps ahead and brings us along. God lifts our hand and leads us into a turn, and we go a different direction. God gives us a push and sends us into another space. God pulls us closer and gives us affirmation as beloved people of God. God thrusts us out in a twirl of beauty and breathless adventure. God is a powerful dance partner. And every dance with God gives us more power to dance with the world without fear without shame and with power to love and to serve. Amen to that.